we turn now to the fifth word from Jesus. And as we continue in this study, we see the very heart of God on display uh, before us in the life of Jesus. So I invite you to hear these words from John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Something happened in our family that was uh, really, really, really impactful and, and really, really difficult, but it all came to a very good point. Uh, in fact, just recently, uh, back in Thanksgiving, our family was uh, visiting up in North Carolina uh, with my dad and stepmom. They live in the sort of foothill mountains of North Carolina, and they've got some hiking around in their area. And so my wife, Julie, was out walking, and she had a, a coat with her, um, and uh, she took off the coat because she was getting warm, and then her hands started swelling up a little bit, and so she ended up taking off her engagement ring and wedding ring and putting it in the pocket of the coat and going on the hike. And when she got back to the house, they were gone. They were lost. And we walked around and we couldn't find it anywhere. We ended up uh, getting a metal detector and having it shipped over uh, to my, my dad and stepmom's house. And when we went back up there, we went around with that metal detector everywhere. Couldn't find it. So after a while, it was about January, we finally, because it was insured, we turned in a, a request. You know, we lost it. We were putting uh, on file. And so we actually went to a jewelry store and we started looking around at all the, the, different, uh, the different rings that we could, we could get. And uh, in the, the course of talking about it on the way there and then in front of the salesman, Julie had said, well, I've got this idea because that ring meant something to me. You gave that to me when we were in seminary. You know, I want something like that. So I'm gonna tell you some of the shapes, some of the uh, things that I like, and, and you're gonna have to pick it out again. And I think, that's not fair. I did that the first time. <laughs> so we went through the whole thing and, and uh, the salesman was telling me what I should get and what I shouldn't get. And then within three days later, we had not purchased anything yet. Within about three, four days later, I got a call from my dad that one of their neighbors had been looking for the rings and it was right by the gravel road covered in some leaves and they saw this little glimmer of light and they dug into the ground and they found the two rings and we finally got them back. It was the original. You know, Julie uh, could have wanted a brand new ring, right? Something that looks a lot better <laughs> than the first one I got her when I was but a student. But this one had meaning. She wanted this one. And it's a miracle that they were found. In fact, we gave uh, a, a gift 
card uh, to the person who found it, and she was crying and saying, you didn't have to do this. You saved us a lot of money. (laughs) And you saved Mike a lot of heartache and ulcers of trying to figure out what to get, right? (laughs) So, you know, she wanted that. She longed for that. And when it was gone, she didn't want just any ring. She wanted something that had meaning to it. And the best that she could think of was to ask me to pick it out because it would have some meaning there. But it ends in a good, a good ending because we got the originals back in perfect shape after months and months of being buried uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountain area. It's amazing. It just makes me think about what matters in life and, and what we yearn for what we want, what we hope for. And at the end of our lives, when we look back, how much of what we actually yearn for and strove for actually matters, right? How much we yearn for things and what are the things at the end of our lives that we actually say, this was vital, this was important, this mattered to me. Upon, upon the cross, Jesus of course, is is suffering. He is hurting. And he says the words, I thirst out loud. Remember, every breath, every statement that Jesus is making is difficult for him uh, to say. And he utters this phrase, I thirst, at the moment where he is starting to drift over towards his own end. And as he says these words, we remember that John's gospel is the only place that shares with us that Jesus said, I thirst. However, in every single gospel, Jesus is offered sour wine or vinegar. In every single gospel, he is offered this by the people that are carrying out the crucifixion. And it's only in John's gospel where he says the words. Jesus is yearning for, he is longing for, he is desperate for a drop of water, a drink for his parched mouth. He was likely denied water or anything to drink from the time he was arrested until this very moment. He was suffering from blood loss, exhaustion, and trauma, all which make us thirsty, right? Our body is trying to go into life-saving mode, and a lot of the water within our system goes to the vital places it needs to go, which leaves our mouths bone dry. And with every, every breath he was fighting to spend or to take in, he was gasping in the dry air over and over and over again. Some people believe that uh, the, the Roman soldiers actually kept this jar of sour wine there because they wanted to sort of torment or torture uh, and taunt the people on the cross because they were all thirsty and they would get the sponge filled with with the vinegar and put it up there close enough to almost touch their lips but not give it to them as one more sign of the powerlessness of their plight. But here, Jesus actually does get a drink. Is it because the the soldiers are seeing what's happening and listening to what he's saying and the grace that he is even pouring out as he is hurting? We don't know. But in the Gospel of John, he actually does drink from this vinegar, this sour wine, wine that's gone bad. It was only served to the poorest of the poor. And Jesus longs for this so that he can continue on, just something 
wet to take in. But the gospel tell us that this is not the only thing that Jesus thirsts for. Through his ministry, through his life, through his interactions with people, he's always yearning for, longing for, thirsting for God to be a part of their lives and for God's grace to transform them. Consistently, Jesus is like the beatitude in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Jesus is hungering and thirsting for that righteousness in the world and in people's lives. Jesus wants to do what God wants. Now, there's a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, you know, if this is not your will, let this cup pass. But not my will, but your will be done. Even in that moment of wondering if the cross would in fact be before him, he thirsted enough, he yearned enough for our own salvation, our own life with God that he continued on. Professor and author Stanley Hauerwas says that the work of the Son, Jesus, the thirst of the Son through the Holy Spirit is nothing less than the Father's thirst for us. For God desires us to desire God. What Harwas is saying to us is that God thirsts for us and Jesus lives this. He models this. God thirsts to be in relationship with us. But he wants a relationship that matters. He wants something that has meaning. He wants us to love him back. He wants a relationship. And Jesus is that bridge between the two where God comes to us and is in relationship with us like he was with the disciples and all other people he encountered. And that's what God wants with us, for us. Whatever Jesus does is what God desires. And at the end of the day, all of this is about what God desires. He desires for us to desire him, to long for him, to yearn for him. Another ancient theologian, St. Augustine, says it this way, God thirsts that we might thirst for him. And he goes on in, a, in another writing and says this, God, the creator of the universe, the almighty, longs for intimacy with each one of us. I think that's beautiful. I think that is so beautiful that, that what God wants more than anything else is for us to be in relationship with him. And he is willing to send his own son to pour him out before us, to be with us, and then to also endure what he endures for us. And it's something that we are consistently reminded of every time we come to a communion table. Because this is not just some religious ritual that we go through because Jesus said we had to do it. It's an opportunity to remember that Jesus came to be in a relationship with us. He wanted intimacy with us. When you sit at a table with people, there's nothing but intimacy, is there? Because you're looking across at each other. You were dining together. You were talking. Unless you're one of those odd people that sits on the same side of the table. Uh, uh, no offense. Um, but you're sitting across the table. You're sharing those moments together. It's a very intimate thing. And that's what Jesus invites us to is a table where we can dine with him and with one another. I know we're still in this moment where we are in a little less intimate experience of communion. 
But it doesn't take away the power and the meaning that it should be there and is spiritually. And that is that we matter enough to God for him to go through all this. And he wants us to come and join him and to be in a relationship with him. And that has got to sink into our minds, friends. That has got to really sink into our very being because it is the whole point of this Christian journey. That God desires to be known by us and to know us, to have a relationship with us and to transform us into the kind of people that he hopes and dreams for us to be and for us to also become the kind of people that can live for him. He thirsts for us. Jesus thirsts for this to take place. And the church is the place where all of us who are thirsty for God come together to be with him. Blogger um, Edward Sri uh, gave us an insight of the worship space in the Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta, India. Now, if you were here back in 2014, I used this example before. The missionary, Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta, India are famous because of Mother Teresa who served there. The chapel, which was designed by Mother Teresa, has, uh, has a simple, simple layout. There are no pews, there are no chairs, no stained glass, no kneelers, barely anything at all. Maybe a little bit of art here and there. There's only a single ceiling fan in the room, or at least there was back then. And just to the left of a large crucifix that is upon the wall, it says the words, I thirst on it. And Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity said that this was vital to them because it was part of their job description as Christian women. Mother Teresa herself said in interviews that the words upon the wall were a constant reminder of the purpose that they served. And this is the purpose, to quench the thirst of Jesus for souls, for love, for kindness, for compassion, for delicate love. Mother Teresa and her order in Calcutta, India reminds us that God thirsts for us. God thirsts for our love and our affection, for our faith and our trust, for us to give our lives over to him. One of the things that Mother Teresa told the, the women who worked with her, the missionaries of charity, uh, to do was to take that phrase from Jesus, I thirst, and to use it in their prayers. To say, in a sense, oh God, I thirst for you. And then to imagine themselves praying for specific people, picking people out uh, of the lineup, in a sense, and saying, in a sense, Jesus thirsts for this person or that person. To pray in their minds, Jesus thirsts for art. Jesus thirsts for Marcus. Jesus thirsts for Sarah. Over and over again, these are the things that Jesus is, is doing. He's desiring to be in a relationship with us. He's desiring for God to know us. And for the missionaries of charity, it could become really just a blanket statement. We're supposed to love everybody, right? But when you start putting names and faces on it, it becomes real. It's one thing to say, we should help other people. It's another thing to say, that guy right over there. 
Mother Teresa knew that if we were going to be in tune or in harmony with God's thirst for us, we have to love others through that same lens. We have to thirst and yearn and long for the very things that God desires. Remember what Augustine says, God thirsts that we might thirst for him. The Almighty longs for intimacy with each one of us. Think about how Jesus thirsts for even a drop of water upon the cross. And in a sense, with that same yearning, that same desire, that same desperation, the God of the universe desires your heart. It's an unquenchable thirst. It never ends until it is satiated. Friends, Jesus' thirst, it is very real. He is fully human on display upon the cross. He is physically thirsty, but there is that spiritual dimension as well that he has been building up to his whole ministry. That he thirsts for what God thirsts for. He and the Father are one, and he is thirsty to bring that to completion. We need to remember two things as we come forward today for communion. And the first is, is that God desires intimacy with each and every one of us. None of us is too unworthy to come in it. It's because God has chosen to invite us all. God desires each and every one of us, no matter where we come from, what we have done, it doesn't matter. He just wants us individually. And the secondly, th- second thing is, is that when we get up from the table, when we get up from this worship service, when we go out into the world, we need to remember that just as God desires that relationship with us, he wants that for and from us as well. That we no longer sort of look with glazed eyes at the world, but we see the people in front of us. And we see the people God desires. And we can think about what we can do to help point the way to their God. Well, thank you for joining us. And I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m. Or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so. Also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.